This is Kutu Palang, the largest refugee camp in the world. There's nearly a million people here. It's located here at the southern tip of Bangladesh, near a place called Cox's Bazaar. The people here are mostly Rohingya Muslims, a people who now have no country. That's because in 2017, the military and citizens in their homeland, Myanmar, forced them out in a brutal ethnic cleansing that left thousands dead, their homes and villages burned to the ground. So let me tell you their story, how they ended up here. And hopefully you'll understand why this video is a fundraiser for these people to try to lighten their burden. Myanmar is no stranger to conflict between its many ethnic groups. But the violence that caused the Rohingya to flee their homes that forced a million people into this refugee camp was different. It was violence that was fueled by hateful messages and disinformation, inflammatory fake stories spread by Buddhist nationalists and extremists, and even the military of Myanmar. These messages were spread and amplified by one social media platform that swept the country, a Western tech company that hoped to corner the market in Myanmar and profit immensely in this country, a country that was just starting to use the internet. Let me show you how this happened. Ultimately, this is a story about misinformation and radicalization on the internet. There are other bad things that can happen on the internet, and I'm going to pause the story right now to tell you about the sponsor of today's video, who is in the business of protecting you online. Thank you, NordVPN, for sponsoring today's video. A VPN is a tool that allows you to connect to the internet, but to select a country through which you connect to the internet. The other day I was doing all this reporting on Chinese maps and I was having trouble for some reason and connected via Switzerland and it was a lot easier. But that's not a common use case for VPNs. Mostly people use it if they're in other countries and they wanna to connect to the internet from their own country so they don't get kicked out of their like Gmail. Sometimes I connect to the internet via Britain so that I can get access to British Netflix content that isn't available here. But most people use NordVPN to simply protect their online activity. It's not just a VPN anymore. It is now a threat protection tool that allows you to block malware, to block intrusive ads, and to generally give you safety with your data as you surf the internet. And they continue to come out with new products. Like they have a password manager now called NordPass, where you can have all of your passwords securely stored in this one tool. The internet is a wonderful place, but it can also be a dangerous place, increasingly so, and that is why NordVPN exists, to protect you while you're surfing the web. There's a link in my description. It is nordvpn.com slash johnnyharris. When you click the link, it helps support the channel. It also gets you two years of NordVPN, plus four extra months. You can try it out. You get all your money back within 30 days if you're not satisfied. It's a good deal, and again, it helps support the channel when you sign up. Thank you, NordVPN, for sponsoring today's video and supporting our journalism. Now, let's get back to this very important story about the internet and Facebook in Myanmar. Myanmar used to be called Burma, and it used to be closed off to the world. 
For decades, it was ruled by military dictators who kept the country closed and poor and oppressed. The military dictators belonged to the Burmese Buddhist majority and had a particular fixation on marginalizing the Muslim minority called the Rohingya. Over the years, they stripped the Rohingya of their rights, not letting them move around the country. And in the 80s, they passed a law that said that these Rohingya people were not actually Burmese citizens. But then, in 2010, in a surprise move, things in Myanmar started changing. Myanmar's new dawn has been a long time coming. The Burmese president has hailed a new chapter in relations with the United States. After decades of isolation, new leadership came to power and began opening up the country to the outside world. Soon, cell phones were flooding into the country at an astounding rate, jumping from nearly no cell phones in 2006 to 90% penetration by 2016. Cell phone towers started popping up all over the place, connecting the country to the internet at a breakneck speed. That internet adoption rate explodes from one half of 1% to 40%. And I know that might not sound like a lot if you're in the United States and everybody is on the internet, but when you were in a society where no one is online and suddenly half of the country is online, that is huge. That's my old Vox colleague, Max Fisher, a journalist who recently wrote a book about social media algorithms and their role in stoking extremism in Myanmar and elsewhere. Like you go to a village and there might only be a few people who have cell phones that have internet access, but those people are relaying what they're seeing there to everyone that they're meeting. For venture-backed U.S. tech companies like Facebook looking for new users, this overnight internet adoption in Myanmar looked like an opportunity. 50 million potential users who are just coming online for the first time. So Facebook made deals with local phone providers, making it so that smartphones came preloaded with the Facebook app and that these new internet users could browse Facebook for free without using any of their expensive mobile data. More and more people spread online, and alongside that, Facebook rapidly spread throughout the country. Remember that number 40% internet adoption rate? Well, almost the exact same proportion of the country, 38% in 2016 says that they primarily get their news from Facebook. That's huge, 38% is way bigger than any media source that I can think of in the United States by this huge proportion. For most people in Myanmar, Facebook was the internet. Facebook was the news. And almost immediately, videos like this start showing up. This is Ashin Wiratu a Buddhist monk who is the leader of the 969 movement. It's an extremist movement that focuses on the Rohingya, spreading conspiracy theories about them, how they're invading the country, how they're planning to destroy the Burmese people. Wuratu called himself the Burmese Bin Laden, and he made a career out of becoming an anti-Rohingya preacher. One of his main methods was always paper pamphlets and leaflets. He would distribute these throughout the country to spread his lies and his conspiracies about the Rohingya. But in 2003, he was sentenced to 25 years in prison for all of this hate speech. But he was released early, in 2012, right as Myanmar was changing, opening up, becoming connected to the internet. As Wiratu entered Burmese society, he found a new tool to spread his anti-Rohingya messages. An algorithm designed to serve users content that will engage them, that will outrage them, that will keep them on the platform for as long as possible, so that a tech company in California can sell ads and make money. So the thing that the Facebook algorithm learns to promote in Myanmar very quickly is 
hatred of the Muslim minority. Over the next few years, Wiratu found a home for his hate speech on Facebook and YouTube, but mostly Facebook, which had quickly become the country's favorite social media platform. This significantly amplified his reach to hundreds of thousands of Facebook users in the country. <laughs> And he was just one of many spreading lies and conspiracies about the Rohingya. Hate speech, conspiracies, and incitements to violence, all directed at the country's Muslim minority, are just overrunning the platform. Over the next five years, tension between the Burmese Buddhist majority and the Rohingya Muslim minority turn more and more violent as the country grapples with the rapid change in economic growth associated with opening up to the world. This tension and racism in no way was caused by Facebook, but it was on Facebook that a troubling pattern started to emerge. Somewhere in the country, there's a crime. It's allegedly committed by some Rohingya person, like the alleged assault and murder of a Burmese woman by a group of Rohingya men. News of the crime spreads like wildfire, some of it making it onto social media. Remember, Facebook was the news for many people. And of course, we all know what happens on the internet. As it spreads, the story changes. Conspiracies emerge that the Rohingya are stockpiling weapons or that they are actually foreign invaders and that they're planning to take over. Anti-Rohingya voices with big followings chime in, saying that this is proof of what they've been saying all along. The Rohingya are planning to take over the country and they must be expelled. And soon the fight goes from social media to the doorsteps of the Rohingya people themselves. A state of emergency has been declared in Western Burma, where deadly clashes between Buddhists and Muslims have killed at least 17 people. Hundreds of homes were set alight. And the first massive outbreak of violence in this era happened in 2012. We're burning Rohingya's houses because they live near our village and they gather at night and try to attack us. Ordinary Burmese citizens heeded the call, raiding Rohingya villages and burning them to the ground. The security forces had to step in, but not to stop the violence. Instead, to help the destruction. Witnesses report that the security forces wouldn't let the Rohingya extinguish the fire that was burning down their houses, even when they tried. They just stood by and let it happen. From this 2012 incident, which is kind of the beginning of our story, the government officially reported that 192 people were killed, 8,600 homes destroyed. But experts say that the numbers are almost certainly much higher. 140,000 Rohingya were forced to leave their home, many fleeing to neighboring Bangladesh. Facebook didn't play a huge role in this first major outbreak of violence back in 2012. The platform was new and just getting started, but this pattern of conspiracies and rumors spreading on the platform and then leading to real-world violence, that pattern continued to grow as more and more people got on Facebook. And soon, it would play a role in helping Buddhist extremists commit what many call genocide. So where's Facebook the company in all of this? There was this journalist and digital researcher. Alec Callan was in Myanmar conducting research on a Stanford fellowship, looking into hate speech online. And she's seen this pattern emerge. She's so alarmed, she flies all the way back to Silicon Valley to meet with people at Facebook to say, hey, this is really dangerous, it's really bad. It turns out she learns in that meeting that Facebook has exactly one moderator who speaks Burmese, which is one of the many languages spoken in Myanmar, which basically means it's entirely ungoverned. Callan attempts to sound the alarm. She's warning them, 
in this meeting with Facebook executives, this is really dangerous. What you are doing is really destabilizing for this country at a really fragile and really tenuous moment. And they basically do nothing. And this happens over and over again in the four years between when Facebook arrives in Myanmar and when the genocide starts. This was a part of a larger trend, not just from Facebook, but the whole international community. They didn't want to focus on the dark side of what was going on in Myanmar. They wanted to focus on the positive aspects. Myanmar's miraculous and sudden opening up to the world. The world's attitude is, hey, this was a extreme authoritarian military dictatorship closed off from the outside world that it's opening up, they're having elections, they're having democracy, they're turning away from China towards the West. Isn't this great? Just a month after this first spat of violence, President Obama visits Myanmar and meets with the government. Foreign companies continue to invest in the economy of Myanmar, and Facebook's presence as a key source of information continues to spread. But under the surface, in the algorithmic feeds of millions of users, hate and conspiracy was being rewarded with attention. The algorithm feeding it to more and more users, enraging them, inflaming them, confirming their beliefs and their biases. According to human rights campaigners, 20 Muslim students were murdered here in March when religious violence swept through this city in central Myanmar. Wiratu's audience kept growing into the hundreds of thousands. His speeches reaching a larger and larger audience. And the pattern continued. In the town of Mektila, an argument in a Muslim-owned gold shop turned into a brawl, leaving a Buddhist man injured. Buddhist extremists post inciting messages on Facebook, saying that more attacks are coming, that the Rohingya are dangerous. And once again, what started in the news feed turns into a violent Buddhist mob, roaming the streets, forcing people out of their homes, burning mosques to the ground, killing dozens. And once again, the security forces largely stand by, allowing another massacre. In fact, the military starts to participate in a new way, restricting the movement of the Rohingya, forcing them into camps and not letting them leave. In response to these conditions, some Rohingya form an insurgency group and start fighting back but they're totally outmatched. Extremism on Facebook continues to grow, and in March of 2014, Ella Callen once again makes the trip to Silicon Valley to deliver a warning. Hate speech and disinformation are spreading on the platform, and it will lead to violence. But once again, Facebook did nothing. They still only had one Burmese-speaking moderator, who wasn't even in the country, who was expected to keep all of this under control. And sure enough, a few months later, Widatu uses Facebook to target a Muslim tea shop telling lies about the owners and giving his followers their name and address. Hundreds of followers take to the street, burning down Muslim-owned businesses and killing two. The violence, mostly targeting the minority Rohingya community, has killed more than 200 people and made 140,000 hopeless. Facebook still wouldn't step in, so the Myanmar government had to. They blocked Facebook in the city of Mandalay where the violence was happening. It was the strongest warning yet that Facebook was indeed driving violence in the country. This and more warnings from experts was a wake-up call. But Facebook only ends up making promises, but takes no aggressive action to stop hate speech on their platform. And they continue to focus what they're good at, growth and expansion, the thing that will make them money. In 2016, a think tank in Washington, D.C. releases a report that analyzes 32,000 Facebook accounts in Myanmar. These were accounts of everyday users. 
and the report found that these accounts were overwhelmed with hateful messages against the Rohingya. And just when you think that Facebook's enabling role couldn't get any worse, the military of Myanmar joins the platform. They create pages pretending to be news sites or beauty and lifestyle pages. They gain huge followings and then they sprinkle in propaganda. They amplify the tensions between Buddhists and Rohingya. They post graphic photos of corpses saying that the Rohingya were attacking, that jihadist attacks would be carried out any day. And the conspiracies kept getting more and more extreme. Oh yeah, the Muslims in my village are stockpiling guns at the behest of Saudi Arabia and they're, they're gonna take over unless we go and kill them first. And it would get thousands of shares. So what we're looking at is Facebook, not just amplifying hate speech posted by the average citizen or by extremists, but the platform being used as a tool of psychological warfare by a military trying to create fear and mistrust in its own people. It was a giant escalating mob hatred towards the Rohingya which wasn't new in Myanmar. These ethnic tensions go back decades, but it was different now because the mob in this case wasn't just someone's village or community. It was the entire country being viewed through the lens of a technology that serves up the most extreme and engaging content that polarizes in the name of engagement. It was a ticking time bomb, one that went off in 2016 and 2017. Because the Rohingya insurgents were fighting back, in 2016, the military starts performing what they call clearance operations, going village to village, burning down homes, and driving the Rohingya out. These clearance operations lead to the death of hundreds of Rohingya. 90,000 more people are forced to flee their home over the border to a refugee camp in Bangladesh. And once again, they meet little to no pushback from their government or the international community. They now had a playbook. It was a new level of violence, not just from the polarized people, but now from the military itself. Seeing this violence break out, in early 2017, David Madden, who ran a tech startup in Myanmar, traveled to Facebook headquarters to give them a final warning that their platform is spreading hate and that the situation in Myanmar is getting really bad. This was his second time delivering such a warning, but like all the others before him, he was ignored. A few months later, it's the summer of 2017, and Waratu is at it again, visiting Rakhine State where the Rohingya live, delivering one of his signature hateful sermons, which is being amplified by local media and, of course, his following on Facebook. The next month, Rohingya insurgents launch another attack on security forces in Rakhine State. The attacks lead to 12 security personnel deaths. And this was the final justification that the military was looking for, to do what they had been planning and plotting for years. It happened quickly and violently. Armed men marched from village to village across Rakhine State in one of these clearance operations. They were joined by civilians, feeling more justified in their racism than ever. It's a chilling and detailed account of what can only be described as a premeditated massacre. And together, the military and the civilians kicked down doors. They burned down homes and mosques. They killed indiscriminately, committing horrific acts of violence. The rampage was widespread and systematic. Rohingya villagers had fled in terror when troops and their own Buddhist neighbors rampaged into Chenkali and then torched it. 
hundreds of villages burned to the ground. This geodata obtained through satellite imagery shows the areas that were burned and destroyed by this extermination campaign. And it helps us see just how widespread this was. It was swift and violent. It was systematic. And it was an effort led out by the military and joined by local people who had been radicalized for years by anti-Rohingya propaganda. More and more of it being spread throughout the country by the unmonitored algorithms of Facebook. Tens of thousands of Rohingya killed and over 700,000 fleeing for their lives, ending up in a refugee camp in Bangladesh. To outside observers, this event might have looked like spontaneous violence, but this was actually the result of a coordinated campaign by a few key people with access to technology that allowed them to reach millions, to lie to them in the most hateful ways, to warp their realities. It was a full-scale ethnic cleansing, and it was in part fueled and enabled by an ungoverned social media platform. Even after the violence, the Burmese military continued to use Facebook, writing one post that said that the Rohingya problem had actually been an unfinished job that had finally been solved. And by solved, he means the organized murder of tens of thousands of innocent people and the forced expulsion of almost a million of them. The UN would refer to this campaign as a textbook example of ethnic cleansing. Others used the word genocide. And only after this horrific event did Facebook actually respond? It wasn't until 2018 when they finally took down the pages of senior military officials who were spreading lies and calls to violence on their platform. The UN came in to investigate how this happened, how another genocide happened on our watch. And they concluded that Facebook had been, quote, a useful instrument for those seeking to spread hate. They also noted that Facebook declined to share with them data that would have helped with their investigation. In 2021, these military leaders who were responsible for this ethnic cleansing of the Rohingya people, they took over the country again. They removed the elected government in yet another coup. Kutu Palang, the refugee camp in Bangladesh, now holds over one million people, most of them Rohingya, fleeing the violence in their home country. The government of Bangladesh wants to return them to Myanmar, but international observers and the Rohingya themselves say that there's no way they could do that safely. After all, the government in power is the one that massacred them. Returning to Myanmar now would be more dangerous than ever. So they sit in their refugee camp without a country and without support, which is why we are raising as much money as we can to support them. Facebook claims that they changed their practices since the massacre of 2017. But in 2022, just last year, Global Witness did an investigation and they were able to place ads on Facebook that contained hateful messages in the Burmese language. Facebook didn't reject any of those ads, whereas here in the United States or in Brazil, Facebook seems to have real controls for hateful ads. But it appears not in Myanmar, even after all this. This story, in some ways, is specific to Myanmar. It's a country that had been closed off to the world for a long time. It opened up, it was newly connected to the internet, and soon long-standing tensions between ethnic groups exploded. But in other ways, this is a story about humans everywhere, about how we've chosen to build our society around technology and social media platforms that are supposed to connect us. And they do. And yet in the process, we've learned just how much they also create division, spread disinformation, and limit our ability to live in a shared reality. 
It's a story about how that process, that trade-off, can have deadly consequences. Thank you.